0: You're listening to A Little Bit Better, a podcast where we talk about how breaking goals into small steps can lead to big results. Here we'll examine the cause and effects of our thoughts, our actions and inactions, and how they influence how we live our lives. I'm your host, Chris Swale, a life and health coach. Let's get started. Hi, welcome back to A Little Bit Better, the podcast. I'm your host and confidence coach, Chris Whale. And today I am talking about something that is on my mind a lot, particularly in the past year. And it is about women having ADHD. I've mentioned a few times that I have recently been diagnosed with ADHD. I've been learning all about it and it has been such a cool explorative journey about myself, about my personality, about my thoughts, my fears, everything. It paints such an incredible picture of clarity around my life, in particular the past and also the present. I really wanted to come on today to talk about this because I have mentioned it before and I get asked a lot of questions. A lot of women in particular are very curious to hear more and learn more. And whether that's just because it's new and interesting, or if it's because there might be sneaky suspicions that they themselves have it, I just thought I would share what I know and where I am right now in my learning journey about being a woman, about being a mother who has ADHD. Okay, so let's dive in. I don't have a penis, and I did well at school. Very well in fact. Those two factors have contributed to so many of us flying under the radar, missing this critical diagnosis of having ADHD. I'm active, the sporty type, yet I can usually sit still when required despite my envious amounts of energy. People have commented on how much energy I have my entire life. They have tried to pry the secret of my abundant energy reserves out of me for years and years. I too wanted to know. I didn't understand it. Boundless energy I've been described as having, but also well-managed. So it's not necessarily alarming or triggering that there might be an underlying reason for it. I know how to rein it in. I get called outgoing, which I do think is kind of curious because I can be shy, painfully, debilitatingly shy. My heart pounds, my face flushes, just thinking about raising my hand in a group of people. I suppose the confusion about me being outgoing is because I am quite spontaneous, I'm creative, and I'm an excellent problem solver, and I do like to help people and I do like to get in there and be part of something and part of a solution. I'm a big feeler, very passionate, people say. I managed a career more than less, and we can come back to that lesson a little bit. And I am a mother. On paper, I look normal. A high achiever, even. And to my great amusement, I have been told that I look like I have my together. (laughs) But that's what we women do. Yet putting me on paper is what finally let me understand myself. I'm not exactly normal. Not for our modern 9-to-5 society which heavily relies and expects order, discipline, and excellent executive functioning. Executive functioning is having the set of cognitive processes that are required for having the fundamental skills related to being proficient in planning, self-monitoring, self-control, working memory, time management, Organization. People who have challenges with executive functions have challenged doing everyday tasks that other people don't even think of. That could be something so simple, such as booking an appointment or responding to an email. People with ADHD have a real challenge with executive functioning, and it's not only ADHD as well. You may have issues with executive functioning if you are depressed, if you've had a brain or head trauma, or if you have other underlying conditions such as dementia, schizophrenia, or if you are autistic. People who do not have any of those things but who are extraordinarily tired or stressed can also have issues with executive functioning. The brains of people with ADHD work and process information and thoughts really, really quickly. In primitive times, I might have saved the tribe with my fast moving creative thinking brain. Today, That brain makes it hard to fit into our orderly desk and chair society. It means a life of half-finished tasks and projects and throwing away freshly bought meat and dairy that was left in grocery bags on the floor for four hours. It's berating yourself for not sending an email, not booking the furnace technician, or not organizing the closet. Those are easy tasks for most people. I know. I know. But... For me and other people living with ADHD, those tasks are mountains. My husband is constantly on my case. Don't get distracted, Chris. Time management has been such a challenge for me my entire life, and that is why once I understood what is going on in my brain, and I learned tools and strategies, including having the right mindset to work with my brain rather against it, that is when I decided that I really wanted to help other women, ADHD or not, to be able to manage their time effectively as well. People with ADHD tend to grossly underestimate how long everything takes to do. Often people with ADHD are late or forget things as they're running out the door, frantic. And again, this can be chalked up to just learned behavior or a personality trait, and not necessarily an obvious alarm bell that one might have ADHD. Pre-kids, putting dinner on the table at eight or nine o'clock at night wasn't a problem. It definitely became more problematic once we had children. Bedtime has never been as super strict at my house either. It's more of a concept. It just happens when it happens. Going with a flow like that doesn't necessarily work for everybody, but there are definitely workarounds for that, the biggest one being create habits. Set up a consistent routine that begins at a specific time. With my kids, I do generally stick to that routine and have a ballpark time, but I don't beat myself up if it's half an hour or even 45 minutes later than I had initially intended to put them to bed. So by not declaring a specific bedtime for my kids, it's taken a lot of stress off of me. And so therefore we have a much more peaceful bedtime routine. I definitely understand if that doesn't work for you. I'm sure if anybody is someone who works with kids and bedtime, they will be screaming, no. But I look at the bigger picture for our family. And for us, I found that once I let go of having a strict deadline for when those kids needed to be in bed, lights off, doors closed, our bedtime routine became so much healthier and happier for all of us. When I read the extensive report from the clinic that did the assessment on me, I was thrilled. Suddenly, my whole life made sense Every single bit of it. The assessment process was long and intense. Pages and pages of questionnaires and hours of live sessions demanding details. It pulled out memories I had long forgotten. Good ones, bad ones, neutral ones, and a handful that I don't even know what to categorize as. Everything is dissected. Events, habits, moments, and feelings. Flushing out these details really helps create a picture of how one operates, which gives that insight as to how your brain works. The process was fun and nerve-wracking at once. Eight hours split between different evaluators, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and a psychometrist. I'm not entirely sure if that's even how you pronounce it. I'd never even heard of that role before this assessment. I did look it up, of course. As you know, if you are a long-time listener, I like to look things up. I like to give you definitions because I really love learning. And so in my daily life, if I hear of something that's unfamiliar or interesting, I run to the computer and start doing some research. I like to joke that the concept of going down the rabbit hole was created entirely for me. That's not a real fact, of course, but it may as well be. And likely, other people with ADHD feel the exact same way. It's just one version of chasing shiny objects that is also highly associated with people with ADHD. It's hard to imagine how I even existed in a pre-internet world where information wasn't instantly accessible by quickly tapping one's fingers on a screen or a keyboard. Although now that I think about it, I did have a full encyclopedia set and they were hands down my most coveted possessions. People love talking about themselves and that's why coaching can feel so therapeutic because you're given the floor to just talk it out, talk about your life, your fears, your goals, whatever it is. And it feel, it can feel really powerful and really restorative. The ADHD assessment process was a really similar experience. In the beginning, I was probably reserved and quite careful of what I said, but within minutes, the floodgates opened and I do recall continuously apologizing for vomiting out my life. The assessors reassured me over and over, of course, that that was the whole point of the assessment, but it was crazy because it felt almost indulgent, though quite therapeutic. The doctors essentially had me paint a picture of my life, canvas after frenzied canvas. They look at how a person operates, thinks, and behaves, not just today, now, in their current age, but as far back as they can remember and all the stages of their life thus far. They explore things you've experienced, look at your strengths, look at things that challenge you. I distinctly remember thinking, whoa, these people must hear so much crazy. One of the doctors asked me how I did at school, specifically in terms of studying. And the truth is, um, not well. I did well at school, but studying, not my forte. And it makes perfect sense now that I understand that I have ADHD. I, it's very, it was very hard for me to sit still for long periods of time and read material out of textbooks or even my notes. I'm the kind of person that understands things by listening if the speaker and the content is interesting to me and by doing. And although I love reading, Things like textbooks are extremely hard for me. I can read pages and pages of textbooks and then it's like I suddenly wake up and I have no idea about any of what I just read. So I mentioned things like that around the question about studying and she wanted to know any specific stories or memories. And so I told her about the time when in first year university, in a brilliant attempt to save money... The girls that lived on my floor in my residence, we decided to swap textbooks for courses taken in different terms. At the end of the first term, I handed two of my textbooks in immaculate condition to my friend. I distinctly remember that she frowned briefly and then made an embarrassed joke about how rough she is with books. She handed me her battered textbooks, the corners rounded and split, the pages all dog-eared and highlighted passages or notes scribbled on almost every page. I shrugged. I told her I didn't mind. A few days later, she popped her head into my room and asked if I had even opened the textbooks that I had given her. Which one? I asked. She looked at me incredulously. That, I realized, was not the correct response. I mean, yes, of course I did. She just shook her head and left. A few weeks later, she entered my room carrying a collection of pressed leaves, their orange, maroon, and yellow hues evident even through the sheets of wax paper. So, I found these in your old textbook, she said. My response? Oh my god, yes! See, I told you I opened them! At that, she laughed and sighed and handed them over, again shaking her head at me. It's something I have grown so accustomed to, these shaking heads, bewildered eyes, and comments about me being totally nuts. Only recently, I realized that most people don't receive those expressions in quite the frequency as I do. People have difficulties digesting the way another person thinks or behaves when it doesn't align with their own behaviors and thought patterns. And so a natural reaction is that bewildered look or shaking your head indicating disbelief or bewilderment. On my end, I was simply delighted to have my treasures back and I arranged the crisp pressed leaves on my corkboard. I may never have recalled that memory again in my entire life, if not for this process. And it seems really quite insignificant, but it's those type of events and memories that can be real big indicators of whether you may be living with ADHD. ADHD is a neurological disorder that presents in several different ways and in varying degrees between people who are diagnosed with it. Adults and females can have it too, not just hyper young boys as what was traditionally thought. If you have it as an adult, you had it as a child, whether it was diagnosed or not. It's trickier to diagnose in females. We tend to hide it better. That may have something to do with the fact that females are naturally better multitaskers. Indications of ADHD include an inability to focus or to hyper-focus on things, of being easily distracted, hyperactivity in general, poor organizational skills, impulsiveness, emotion regulation challenges, among other things. But you also don't have to have all of those things. ADHD is a rather large umbrella. You may also be familiar with the term ADD. It's often used interchangeably with ADHD, but it's a little bit outdated and falls under that big umbrella of ADHD. Speaking of that, there are three major types of ADHD. I'll let you know what they are, but I'm not going to do a deep dive into them today. So... One is ADHD combined type. It's the most common type of ADHD and it is characterized by impulsive and hyperactive behaviors as well as inattention and being easily distracted. The second is impulsive hyperactive type. And this is the least common type of ADHD and it's characterized by impulsive and hyperactive behaviors without inattention and distractibility. And the third type is inattentive and distractible type. This branch of ADHD is characterized by inattention and distractibility without hyperactivity. ADHD is a brain based biological disorder. People with ADHD have low levels of the naturally occurring brain chemical dopamine, which is a neurotransmitter. People with ADHD can easily be distracted in conversations as well. This is certainly the case for me. And as a result, I definitely have to outline my podcasts in order to keep myself on track. So going back to school and the studying question from my ADHD assessment, that led to understanding how I learn, and that is by listening and doing, and that includes in-class teaching as well as studying. So studying was a real challenge for me. The way I managed to sneak some studying in was really by, if there were chapter summaries in the textbooks, by reading the chapter summaries, because that would highlight the really key and important information that was likely to be included on the exam. And so I would review just those areas and cross my fingers and hope that I understood the concepts enough to be able to wing it on my exam. I didn't know I had ADHD at the time, but I am happy that I understood that I was different and that my brain worked differently at that time. I was not able to hide myself away in my room or the library like the rest of my friends and spend hours and hours poring over textbooks and notes. But I did beat myself up with a lot of negative self-talk and shaming because I wasn't able to do that. It was very clear that I was different and it was frustrating probably on both sides for myself and my friends who really wanted me to succeed. But a silver lining in all of that is I actually helped my friends learn how to study better. So instead of them studying the entire textbook, they learned to identify the important bits and really hone in on that. So you see, having ADHD is not always a bad thing. I really do choose to embrace it as a really wonderful, positive part of who I am. I am very creative. I'm a really good problem solver. And I do like my energy. It's just knowing how I work and knowing all of this stuff about my personality and how that leads me in my life. And now i That i have this diagnosis of having adhd it really does help me set myself up for success by not fighting against myself by trying to force myself into the behaviors expected by society because instead i can work with my behaviors and find the best way for me to go about doing the things that i need to do living with and managing adhd means having an in-depth understanding of how you operate Using your natural behaviors in an intentional way results in far greater success than fighting against them, than forcing yourself to conform with mainstream expectations. This philosophy is not applicable solely to ADHD. I believe it is completely applicable to everybody. Everybody is unique and everybody has their own thought patterns, and beliefs, and values, and behaviors, and once you understand those about yourself, you can live a better, less stressful life. It's so interesting that currently the largest demographic being diagnosed with ADHD is women, In their 30s and 40s. This is happening largely because we are bringing our kids in for ADHD assessments or other behavior assessments, often at the urging of their teachers. And as we start to learn the complex and varied indications of ADHD, we kind of bite our lower lip and go, hmm, sounds familiar. Like I said, when I got my diagnosis, I was elated. The clinic was really fantastic. They go over your report in depth and in detail, and they're very sympathetic to how you may feel learning about this. I imagine that some people may struggle with it, with a diagnosis, with having a label. The way I looked at it is that anything that helps me understand who I am is not a bad thing, and it was really freeing to have that knowledge That, coupled with my coaching work, allows me to forgive myself and give myself grace for not being able to fit into the box all the years of my life. I have struggled so much to conform, to not be distracted, to rein in my ideas and energy and creativity, and to just do everyday things the way that others can. Now that I have this knowledge about myself, I can let go of a lot of that negative self-talk and guilt and shame. I can support myself in a way that I need to be supported and it allows me to have the conversations with people in my life so that they can best support me and I can best support them. People who don't have executive functioning challenges simply cannot compute how it feels. It's really frustrating for all. So many times I have told myself and had others tell me just do it already. But I can't. I can't just do it. It's not about growing up or sucking it up. My brain works differently. If you didn't have legs, I wouldn't yell at you to get up and walk already. Part of the challenge, which I believe leads to some of the stigma around having ADHD is that it is invisible. So it's harder for people to have empathy and an understanding when there's no visual people can think that you're making a choice to not do things rather than understanding that it's just really, really difficult for you. That something that comes so easy to them is so overwhelming and challenging for you to do. And this is why I really encourage you to have the conversations with people you know in your life who may have ADHD. And if you have it, With the people around you. It's definitely time to drop the stigma. I'm not at all embarrassed or ashamed that I have ADHD because I really believe it contributes to some of my best personality traits. And while I do struggle with some of that executive functioning, Having ADHD helps me show up with so much passion and energy. I'm all in when I'm all in, and I can use that energy to best help my clients, to best serve you and the people who listen to my podcast. I'm an abstract creative thinker, and I look at that as an asset. And now that I understand the things that are trickier for me, especially in a business sense, I can get help with those things. This is so valuable. It is so key because it helps me not get tripped up on them. When we get overwhelmed or face challenges or face obstacles that feel really insurmountable, that's when we often throw in the towel and we stop. Now that I have this knowledge about myself, I can get help where I know I need it. And that allows me to do more of what I'm really good at. I just realized I never came back to the part about managing my career. I've had great roles in companies both in agency and corporate. I used to work in magazine and advertising, like print media, and I excelled. I did really well, but what I really struggled with was working for somebody else. I love the freedom to be as creative and efficient and to problem solve in a way that doesn't feel restricted or caught up in a lot of red tape. I'm really not predisposed to working in big corporate companies. So being an entrepreneur is so freeing. And I realize that is my zone. That makes me happy. That makes me feel authentic. It lets me be who I want to be both as a person and as a business. I hope that was insightful and helpful. If you have any questions about what it's like to be an adult living with ADHD, please reach out. I'm honestly just an email or a direct message away. You'll notice that I'm on Instagram. I have a presence on Facebook, but I very rarely engage with it because I have now learned Facebook overwhelms me. It's part of what I've learned about myself with ADHD. So I like the simplicity of Instagram instead. So go out there, learn about yourself, whether you have ADHD or not, it doesn't really matter. But be true to who you are and how you operate. Recognize that. Own it. Love it. Forgive it. And go out there and be your best self every single day. You've got this. Thanks for listening to A Little Bit Better. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find this podcast. Subscribe to A Little Bit Better so you never miss an episode. Share it with friends and family. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at This is a Little Bit Better, or find me online at alittlebitbetter.ca. I'd love to hear from you. And if you'd like information about coaching with me, please reach out. I am Chris Swale. I'm excited to connect again soon. So until next time, have fun being A Little Bit Better.